Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Just a warning, this podcast deals with sensitive content. So if you have kids around, maybe save it till later. You're listening to Investigates, the podcast that lifts the curtain on some of the world's biggest crimes and mysteries. We would all love to bring him home. Whether that will happen, I, I don't know. My personal belief is that they weren't of, of this world, that they were definitely from somewhere else because I had never seen anything like that at all. I'm Stephen Downey and I've spent more than 20 years investigating some of the world's biggest stories and mysteries. And I'm thrilled to be bringing you this season of Investigates, alongside my co-hosts, Smitter Mystery and April Glover. There's a house that sits on the outskirts of a small town called Junee, in the Riverina area of New South Wales. Some might call it a mansion. Others would say it's a manor house. But to most people, it's simply known as the most haunted house in Australia. When Reg and Olive Ryan bought the property off the original owners, the Crawley family, in 1963, they had no idea they'd be changing the course of their lives forever. Within a week or so of being there, they've gone down into Junie to get supplies. And on the way back, just on dusk, they're coming up the driveway when they've stopped the car to see lights beaming out every door and window of the house. Like there was almost like floodlights beaming from each room. Originally, they'd intended to restore the dilapidated house that had been built in 1876 and raise their five kids there. Instead, they ended up spending the rest of their lives dealing with experiences. As their son Lawrence tells me, that couldn't be explained. She comes up to the main house, up the staircase and into the room, but it stopped dead and attracts the doorway of the boys' bedroom, looking in to see me asleep in bed but with an old man standing at the edge of the bed looking down on me while I slept. There's so many horrible things that have happened in this house, which is why I wanted to hear firsthand what it was like growing up there and whether or not there are spirits still present today. And we have many people coming back to us and going, oh, it's great how you've got people uh, walking around in vintage clothing or period costume and things on the property. And we go, we've got no one walking around the property in period costume. Oh, no, there was a lady out in the back cottage. I saw her sitting at the table. I said, well, I'm telling you, we've got no one here in interest in period costume. Lawrence, the youngest of the Ryan children, now runs ghost tours at his family estate. And he joins me now to talk about why this is Australia's most haunted house. Who originally built the homestead? The homestead was originally built by Mr. Christopher William Crawley. Now, he, he was a wealthy grazier that came from the Tumut Adlong area, which is about 100 kilometres out from where Juni sits today. He bought the parcel of land, then very magically, the rail line that runs between Sydney and Melbourne came right through the centre of his property. Now, this was a bit of a stroke of luck, it was, because this was a major stopover point and the halfway exactly between Sydney and Melbourne. Um, he actually had a cousin that worked for the railway, found out where it was going to run, bought the land very quickly, 
and uh, decided Juni should be built on his land. So he made a ton of money out of the town being developed on his town. He built the very first general store. He also uh, built the pub in town as well, which made a lot of money. And by this point, uh, he had enough money to build this huge mansion called Monte Cristo. So he's a pretty resourceful kind of guy. Yeah, I, call, I think they call it inside trading today. I think you go to jail for it. <laughs> Back then, obviously, it wasn't a big issue, of course. All right. Now, give us an idea of the property itself. Can you talk us through what it is, the house, and, and, and what it looks like? Monte Cristo itself sits on the outskirts of Juni. It was uh, built up on top of a hill overlooking the valley where Juni sits. And I think this was done for a very good reason, so he could overlook the town and sort of look down at his loyal subjects uh, of, of Juni. But the homestead is a double-storey brick house. It's actually, uh, the bricks were actually baked on the property because uh, it was cheaper and easier to do this. Triple brick downstairs, double brick upstairs. And it's a, it's a big house, not so much big today's standards, but for a property back in the country, it was a big estate. A big estate for, for a rich family. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people don't realise that one of the bedrooms in this house was equivalent to a whole common person's home. Uh, they had very small cramped quarters, of course, and the Crawley started off small. They had a small cottage out the back where they lived with nine of their ten children. And as the money came through, that's what gave them the funding to uh, build the big grand homestead Monte Cristo at the front. That then became the servants' quarters and kitchen to the homestead itself. There's a lot of outbuildings as well, carriage sheds, of course, um, servants' quarters, but there's also a big ballroom that was built too because if you've got money, you've got to be able to show it off a bit and, uh, of course, the Crawleys had a ball uh, every so often at the homestead. Now, I, uh, I'll ask when your parents bought the property. Uh, my parents bought the property in 1963. They bought it as virtually a brick shell. Unfortunately, the original owners, Mr. and Mr. Crawley, both passed away. The children inherited the house, and they sold all the furniture off and boarded up the house, and they are going to try and outlive each other to see who got the inheritance. Now, they had a caretaker there for many years looking after the place to stop any vandals or local kids getting up and doing any damage to the house, and she actually lived there uh, with her mental son, Harold Steele. He was actually chained to the cottage at the back for over 30 years of his life because of his mental problems to stop him running away or doing any harm to himself or anyone else. And Monte Cristo actually got the reputation of being the haunted house well before it was ever haunted because the poor old boy Steele used to scream out at night and howl at the moon like an animal and would echo into the Valley of Juni. And of course, children were frightened of this noise and the parents would tell them that that's where they chained the monster at, uh, at Monte Cristo. And if you didn't eat your vegetables, if you didn't go to bed when you were told, that's where you were going to be put. This is interesting, isn't it? Because you have this amazing house in the country, but it has this really dark past. Yes, the Crawleys, they're, they're not different to anyone else. You've got to understand back in the time that servants were treated very poorly. If you had money, I suppose you're above and bigger than everyone else. And the Crawleys were no exception. Mr Crawley had 10 children to his wife, but rumoured to have another 10 to the staff as well. And this was common knowledge in town. And once again, don't think it's special to this homestead. It was a common practice back in the day. That's right. There's a story. Now, maybe you can elaborate on this one, that he did have affairs uh, with the servants. And there's uh, one particular story about a servant who fell pregnant. Yes, this was a common occurrence once again. The mates didn't have much choice in falling pregnant. But it was either a kick or a punch to the stomach to cause a miscarriage or you shove them off something quite high, which would do the same thing. And there was a police report that stated the young maid committed suicide off the balcony. She's gone over the top, hit her head on the top step and bled out. 
There's actually a stain on the front step where they used a very harsh bleach solution to take the car, uh, the uh, blood out and it took the colour out of the step. But it shows you where she lands. And when you look at that and look up, there is no way if you committed suicide up the balcony would you land there. It was almost like she was upended and she was hanging on for dear life and she was virtually speared over the veranda. We think she might have been upended over the balcony to cause a miscarriage, but she's hit her head and bled out and they've panicked and called the police and they've called it a suicide and no more questions were asked. But it was common knowledge in town that this young girl was pregnant and that she had been upended over the balcony. That is quite a, a dark, disturbing story. It's not the only disturbing story, obviously. What else can you tell me about Mr Crawley? Well, like I said, very astute businessman. Uh, like I said at the time, um, it was a, it was a different time. Like I said, sleeping with your staff, that was very common. Your boys grew up doing the same thing, so it was almost like a rite of passage. Uh, Mrs Crawley uh, didn't have anything to say, of course, because unfortunately women were treated pretty poorly back in the day. They stood behind their husband with no say, no opinion, of course. And there was no sort of divorcing back then. She didn't get half of everything and she moved on. She would have been chucked out and uh, put on the streets and that would have been the end of the story. And another sad thing a lot of people don't realise is Mrs Crawley was actually half Aboriginal, which was very unheard of at the time because men of gentry or English uh, bloodlines would have to keep your bloodlines clean. You didn't you didn't mix races at all. But um, he fell in love with her and no one was going to tell him any difference, but it was cause for gossip in a small country town, of course. Now, Mrs Crawley was not dark by any stretch of the imagination, but she was slightly tanner colour than the average Victorian woman of the time who was very white and pasty. So she was treated very poorly, of course, and um, Mr Crawley always defended her when he was alive. But when he passed away, in the 22 years after his death to her death in 1933, it is rumoured she only left the property on three occasions because the way people treated her in town, which is quite sad. So she felt a bit, a bit of an outcast in the town? Very much so. became very much a recluse. We've been told she left the house twice for doctor's appointments and once for a funeral. Because when she left the property, she was treated like dirt. But when she was on the property, everyone did as she said. And she was a woman with a voice now. And she sort of took that in a stride. I think she ran the house a lot better than Mr Crawley ever did because it was hers. That was, it was hers to, to hold on to and, and have a purpose. As Lawrence says, the staff were treated pretty poorly at Monte Cristo. But the one way staff could get back at the owners was to harm their children, including a baby of Mrs Crawley's that was dropped down the staircase. And just a warning, this is sensitive content. Now this uh, poor child was dropped down the staircase by one of the maids. Now we've heard stories about it was pushed from her arms and she claims it was just fell out of her arms by an invisible force. But the maids were treated very poorly back in the day. And the only way to get back to the owners was often to treat the children poorly. And especially if they weren't old enough to dob on you or tell, tell a tale, um, you could get away with it. But there's also stories, or, um, and we've even had um, professional mediums come to the house and say the maid was actually blackmailed to drop the child down the staircase. They had something over and someone in the family or someone wanted this child gone. And uh, she actually took two attempts to drop the child down the stairs. When she actually did, she dropped the child down, she fell down the stairs and she was left at the foot of the staircase for more than two and a half hours because Mrs Crawley was not on the property at the time. And she died as the result of a twisted bow from the fall, which is quite sad. Now, Mrs Crawley had Magdalena seven and a half years later after uh, number nine Crawley child, so that was a huge gap, and she was in her 40s. Now, back then, if you weren't married off by 14, 15 and started to have children, there was actually something wrong with you. So to have a child back in your 40s then, that was a huge thing. But she saw it as a bit of a, a miracle that was given to her to date over this child, and uh, she did. She spoiled this child and called it a little precious, and she never got over the death of this child. 
That is a fascinating story, and 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 also quite horrible. Uh, it, there's so much, I would say, evil or, or bad stuff that's happened at this house. It's it's little wonder that it uh, there's paranormal activity going on there. Yeah, a lot of people ask the question, why is, why is it haunted? Why are the spirits restless? Why have they not moved on? And you hear and read lots of things about spirits, why they don't do this. Their murder was never sold or they're, they're stuck in this place. They can't go any further from where they're laid to rest. But honestly, it comes down to just, uh, I suppose, free will of a person. It doesn't matter if you're alive or a dead one. If you've got such a draw to something or got a passion for it, you'll cling to it. You hear stories of people being buried with their favourite car or motorbike or something like that because they just can't let it go and they'd rather see it in the ground with them than anyone else have it. It's almost like the Crawleys don't want anyone else to have their house and they're just going to stay there and look after it. And we often joke with people that we, we don't own the house, we're just their loyal servants looking after it for a little bit longer for them. Interesting. So how much longer after your parents bought the place did they start experiencing strange occurrences? Virtually within weeks of being at the house. Now, they moved in uh, with no running water, no electricity. Vandals and squatters had gone completely through the homestead and stripped out everything, smashed out all the glass, all the timber from the doors and uh, windows had been stripped out and set fire to in the fireplaces. And they actually spent their first night sleeping in the dining room because that was the biggest room that they could fit the family in and it had a big open fire and they tacked some canvas over the windows. Now, they only actually had one kerosene lamp. That's all they had when they first moved in. Now, within a week or so of being there, they've gone down into Journey to get supplies. And on the way back, just on dusk, they're coming up the driveway when they've stopped the car to see lights beaming out every door and window of the house. It was almost like floodlights beaming from each room. Like I said, it shocked them that much. They hopped out and stood at the side of the car. Now, of course, my dad went to hop back in the car and my mum said, where are you going? He goes, well, that's where we're living. And she goes, well, it's obviously the squatters or vandals. They've come back. He goes, well, if they are, that's our house. We need to get rid of them. So they hopped in the car and drove up further. But as they came up close to the house, it was almost like someone threw a master switch and every light and every door and window vanished instantly. Now, people have put that down to reflections of the car lights off the panes of glass. But remember, it all been smashed out. There wasn't a pane of glass in the house. There was no electricity on the house. There was never any electricity put on Monte Cristo. It was done by our family later on. So there's no explanation of why that or how that could have happened at all. That's when they realised there was something strange going on. So what did they do about that? Did it, did it make them want to sell the place or they decided they were, they were going to stay there? No, pretty much that's where they, they virtually had to borrow from the bank to uh, buy the house. They had nowhere to go. Like I said, they moved in the dead of winter, so it was just nothing. They had no other choice. But you're also talking over 50-odd years ago when people didn't talk about ghost stories and things like that for it. It was a little bit un, you know, unusual. You just had to sort of put it down or, or shrug it off as you know coincidence or maybe some way there was some explanation to it. But uh, as the years went on, they started realising, yeah, it wasn't a normal house. Reg and Olive had always planned to restore the house to its original glory. But after a few more strange experiences, one that involved Lawrence and a visit from a clairvoyant, they decided they should open the restored house to the public. As a kid growing up, I slept in the boys' bedroom in the main house because we used all these rooms. We are a museum today, but it was bought as a family home, never to be a museum. And... The room that I slept in, I always felt uncomfortable and restless. Most kids grow up thinking they've got a boogeyman underneath their bed or in their cupboard. 
I think I might have had one because I'm the type of person that dreams every night. And as children, we dream, but we don't have dreams. We have nightmares. And as a kid, I just remember being unrestless, someone watching over me or in the room, and I just didn't like it. But when I got to about 13, I was moved out of the main house to a room out the back, a private area where I could have my motorbike posters up and some cool things, of course. And these ghost stories were never sort of talked about. If we had friends and relatives visiting, my dad might tell a few yarns or stories, of course. But as children growing up, we were never um, given these stories because obviously no one wants to scare their own children. But... uh, because I wasn't sleeping in the main house and we had some relatives visiting, my dad was telling a story about when I was five years of age, we had a family function at the homestead. Now, it must have been something big like a wedding or a 21st or some sort of special occasion because we had friends and relatives visiting from all over. But being five, I got tired early. So mum says to my um, one of my older sisters to bring me up to the house, put me to bed, read me a story. When I fell asleep, I could, uh, she could come back to the party. So the oldest uh, sister brings me up the house, puts me to bed, reads me a story, and I fall asleep very quickly. She then returns to the buildings out the back of the homestead where our ballroom is. Now, being responsible adults, every half an hour or so, mum would send one of my other sisters. I have four older sisters. I'm the youngest in the family and the only boy. So one by one, they're being sent up to check on their little brother. But as the night's progressing, the one that's closest to me, uh, she's about 13 years of age. Um, My sister is told by my mum, go check on your little brother. She's not happy about it, but she agrees to come up and check. She comes up to the main house, up the staircase and into the room, but has stopped dead in the tracks at the doorway of the boys' bedroom, looking in to see me asleep in bed, but with an old man standing at the edge of the bed looking down on me while I slept. The old man looked up, turned towards and then vanished into thin air. Now, apparently it was enough to scare her to leave me unattended with who or what was in the room, racing back to the ballroom down the back, screaming out, there's a man in the house, there's a man in the house. My dad and two other male relatives frankly run to the house thinking there's an intruder to find no one in the house and me sound asleep in bed. It takes three hours to calm my sister down, who then gives a description of an old man in old clothes with possibly a beard standing at the edge of the bed. Now, hearing that story for the very first time sent a chill down my spine. No wonder it felt like someone was always watching me in the room. Apparently, I did have someone watching me, and if I'd found that out all the years ago... I can tell you that would have been my last night of sleeping unattended in the house. But to this day, I've never slept back in the main house since I was a 30-year-old boy. Yeah, right. Do you think that was Mr. Crawley? I'm pretty sure it is, just from the description and things. And I don't think he was there to harm me. I think he was looking over me to make sure I was safe in the house there. We don't believe there's anything real evil there and things. I, I tell people, if you weren't a nice person when you're alive, chances are you're not a nice one when you're dead. But I think it's just the time and it's a different time now and the energy or the imprint that's been left at the house is a little bit dark and can be a little bit sinister, but nothing that would ever hurt anyone or anything like that. Yes, we've had people run in the house screaming. We've had people see apparitions there. We've had people being grabbed and all sorts of things, but we've never had anyone physically hurt there at the house. I guess the question, uh, Lawrence, would be why would the Crawleys want to, to haunt this place? Why can't they just rest in peace? I think, like I said, it's their place and it's, it's, they just can't let it go. An interesting thing, and a lot of people don't realise this, Monte Cristo is actually built on a huge outlay of quartz crystal. Now, if you talk to anyone in the spirit world, as in mediums or psychics or anything like that, they'll tell you that quartz crystal is a huge magnification to the spirit world. So if you take an average spirit that you might hear of once or twice a year, 
you sit them in an area where you've got all this quartz crystal, it's magnifying it. So instead of hearing them once or twice a year, you hear them every day of the year. So I think it's that helps a lot as well. Have you had mediums or, or people out there to sort of you know check this kind of activity? We've had all of them. We've had all the ones from overseas. We've had all the popular ones here, of course, in Australia. And they all come to the conclusion of, yes, it's haunted. No, we don't really want to spend the night here. Thanks very much. And uh, they've got some theories of, like you said, why they're still there and why they're not sort of thing. But they, they all can agree that uh, they're very active at our house. There's also, I read that there's uh, something very interesting or a very interesting reason why you can't have uh, animals in the house. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was just a thing from back in the period where animals were work animals or outside. You never had animals inside where today it's very common to have your pet cat or your pet dog inside. But we were just never allowed to have them inside because not that our parents didn't want us to have them inside. They, the animals just didn't like them, didn't like the house. Now, they say children and animals are very good um, interpreters of spirit or, or sensing spirit, and, yeah, animals just don't like it. But we've had animals, unfortunately, die at the house with no logical reason behind it. My dad tried to have chickens at the house at one point where he came down to find all the necks of the chickens had, had uh, been broken, but the cage was locked up and there was no way anyone could get into it. No animal had been into the house itself. And one occasion, my sister had, uh, had a budgery guard in a room. She'd only just got it and put it in the cage and came down to get water, came back, and it was already dead on the, uh, the bottom of the cage. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to be an animal at our place. I'll put it that way. So, and what, pets, cats, dogs, those sorts of things too? Yeah, yeah, just pretty much everything. Um, we have stray cats around the house that we feed and things like that. They'll be near the house, but they won't come into it. They just don't like it. On many occasions, they'll just freak out and hiss and take off and run up the nearest tree and stay at the top of it for an hour before they come back down again as well. So, yeah, can't explain that one other than I think they might see things that we don't. I read a story too about the, the last caretaker. Was he shot? Yeah, poor old Jackie was a local here at town and um, after the lady and her son Harold, uh, she passed away of natural causes and Harold had to be taken away to a mental hospital where he spent the rest of his life. They had to bring in another caretaker and this was the guy by the name of Jackie. Um, He was a little bit strange. He used to talk to people that weren't there and yell at people and he was a little bit scary. So ideally, he was given the job of caretaker of the house because no kids would come up and throw rocks through the windows because they're all a bit scared of him. And that was fine right up until 1960 when Alfred Hitchcock releases his latest movie in cinemas throughout Australia, a movie by the name of Psycho. Now, if anyone knows the movie Psycho, you know it's got a creepy motel and an even creepier house on the hill in the background. Now, a lot of people referred to Monte Cristo as the house like in Psycho because it used to sit on the, on the hillside on the outskirts of Juni and it just had that creepy vibe about it. Well, a 15-year-old boy goes and watches the movie three times in town. After the third time, thought it would be a great idea to go home and get his father's shotgun. Walk up to the home, sit around in the back cottage and knock at the door. When Jackie answered the door, he shot him in the chest, leaving the grim message, Die, Jack, ha-ha, written on the door, which is actually still visible today. Now, it didn't kill poor old Jackie, but it certainly didn't do him any good. And after that, he didn't want the job of caretaker, and no one else in town wanted the job of caretaker. And that's actually when the house was left idle for over uh, over 18 months, and that's when the vandals and squatters came in and reduced this once magnificent house down to a brick shell. And then in 1963, my parents bought the house. 
Yeah, talk about being the haunted house. I think it's a cursed house. Uh, almost, but uh, like I said, they seem to like us there. We uh, That's only because we're looking after. I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. But uh, we, we don't encourage anyone to upset our spirits and things for it. Uh, like I said, they're, they're not doing us any harm, and if they're not doing anyone else any harm, that's all well and good. But a lot of people come to the homestead and say they feel very welcomed and calmed at the house, where other people go, your house is evil, I don't want to hear, I'll never come back again. So, yeah, I think it's just the type of people that come to the house. In 2014, the Ryan family lost the man of the house. Reg passed away in his 80s. His funeral was held at the property and his ashes were scattered on the grounds. And now, well, people say that his spirit remains on the grounds. Yes, we have 10 resident spirits, but we have to can 11 now because my dad said he was always coming back to haunt the place. And within four months of his passing, uh, one of our guests on our ghost tour actually captured him down in the carriage shed, standing next to one of his beloved carriages. We have a very extensive carriage collection here, and my dad didn't have a drinking problem. He had a horse-drawn carriage problem. He used to love to collect, and he used to actually make the carriage wheels. So it wasn't unusual or a surprise to us when a, one of our tourists actually snapped a shot of the silhouette of my dad standing next to one of the carriages uh, in the back carriage shed of the homestead. And that was within four months of his passing, so that was pretty cool. So you have that? Do you have that photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have that. Uh, they have the, the, the photo and like I said, hundreds and hundreds of other ones, but that's the only one I've got of my dad uh, at the house itself. But not uncommon to have your name called out during the day and no one there. And I'm sure I've heard my dad on several occasions telling me to do something or something that needs to be done, of course. So he's still giving me orders, uh, even though he's not here. Can people see these photos? Yeah, usually most of them on the internet. We have some on our Facebook page, some on our um, on our website, of course. But you Google Monte Cristo, there's a gazillion photographs that come up. Uh, like I said, we have guests every uh, every weekend that stay over in the house for our uh, haunted tours, and of course our day tours that come through uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And we don't have a week go by that someone doesn't capture something at the homestead. And of course, the first place they end up is on Facebook, so people can either pull them apart, debunk them, or go, "Wow, I think you've captured a ghost." Have you ever had any sceptics uh, come up there and, and then say, uh, well, either converted them or, or walked away feeling the same way as they did you know, beforehand? Yeah, we don't push it on anyone. Like I said, we, we don't mind if you don't believe. Uh, but uh, we say, come, come to the place and tell us what you think after you've left because I've sent, sent more sceptics away believers than I have the other way around. And my firm belief behind that is that sceptics look at things a little bit different to the person that's sort of ghost hunting or is right into the ghost because their mind's not sort of focusing on it. And when it does happen and they can't give an answer to what they've seen or experienced, to me that's more proof than any ghost hunter could ever uh, uh, give to me than a sceptic not having an answer to what just happened to them. Yeah, and so people in general, do they, do they walk away scared after they've seen things or they... How do they feel? I think now we're sort of being desensitised with all the shows on, on television, ghost hunting shows and things. I think people are more fascinated by it and things. Yeah, people, their heart misses a beat and they might get a bit scared and some people run out screaming, but I think their minds do more damage to them than our poor old spirits or our house does. But, um, yeah, I think today that, yeah, but I've had people that have never come back to the house that have seen spirit at the homestead or ghosts, and they said, no, it scared the life out of me. I'm not interested in coming back at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would be, it'd be quite a uh, bizarre, uh, rattling kind of feeling to see something there, perhaps one of those old crawlies or a relative or something. 
Well, funny enough, for every reporting that we have of spirit being seen on the property, it's clear as you and I are looking at each other. It's not the wispy spirits you see on the movies or in Hollywood and things like that. It's like another person. And we have many people coming back to us and going, oh, it's great how you got people uh, walking around in vintage clothing or period costume and things on the property. And we go, we've got no one walking around the property in period costume. Oh, no, there was a lady out in the back cottage. I saw her sitting at the table. I said, well, I'm telling you, we've got no one here in in dressed in period costume. And that's when you see the colour drain from their face when they realise they've probably just seen Mrs Crawley sitting at one of the tables at the back of the homestead. (laughs) All right, Lawrence, uh, it's been really great to chat to you. Uh, Thanks so much for enlightening us about what goes on up at uh, Monte Cristo. You're more than welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Investigates. If you have a story you'd like us to look into, leave us a review and let us know what it is. And if you like this episode, leave us a five-star rating. Next week on Investigates, my co-host April looks into a 37-year disappearance. I'm Stephen Downey and I'll see you next time.